Fantastic. You guys are absolutely smashing it. So good. Morning, family. Good to see you. Good to be together. Hope you're doing well. Loving being here this morning. Um, Lauren and I are kind of speaking today. We got through three of our five points in the first service. Revival might break out. We might get to a fourth point. You never know. So we'll see where we're going. And uh, it's just great on Father's Day to have this opportunity to share uh, with uh, Laura, my daughter. And because we're doing this, uh, she got to put this particular photo up of her and I uh, when both of us were much younger. And I think the main, <laughs> the main motive <laughs> behind, Car behind Lauren choosing this photo was to pinpoint the size of my hair, um, which is in full Jackson 5 Afro stage, just to prove that I can grow it that big. I'm not sure that I could now, but um, anyway, that was, that was me when I was very young. And uh, I, I was saying to the guys at the first service, I was a very young dad. I was 23 when I first had Lauren, uh, March of 1999. And I do remember coming out of the hospital, carrying this amazingly beautiful little girl from the hospital, thinking, do I need a certificate for this? I, I've had no training. I've not gone to parenting school. I feel very unqualified and clueless. And uh, for, for many, many months, in fact, many years, we felt clueless all along the way. But um, it's such a privilege to be a dad. And um, to all the dads in the room and all the spiritual fathers in this room, just thank you for who you are. And uh, thank you for the way that you serve us as a community. And um, I think it's interesting in our nation right now, we've probably never lived in a more fatherless nation than we do right now. Um, so it's a well-known statistic that for uh, particularly inmates, particularly male inmates in prison, 80% of them never grew up with a father figure in the home. And there is an epidemic of fatherlessness in our nation. There are whole um, communities, particularly in uh, kind of urban London areas, inner city London, that are known as father deserts, where the majority of homes don't have a father figure in them. And I think we can't underestimate the impact that has on a society and a culture when we start to lose the presence of fathers in our lives. And so I just want to issue a, a challenge, I guess, to all the men in this room, because if you are a man, you're called to be a father, whether that's to your own family or whether it's to spiritual sons and spiritual daughters. And just want to say, it doesn't matter how old you are as a man in this room, you're called to be a father because you have a heavenly father. And it may be that you've never grown up with a father figure in your own home, but here's the good news. You all have a heavenly father, and he's a good, good father, and he's a perfect father, and he's always the same, yesterday, today, and forever, and you're called to reflect him in the world. <laughs> and how do we do that? Well, we look at Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. What does our father in heaven look like? He looks like Jesus. And so I just want to issue a challenge to all of us in this day in a fatherless moment in our nation is a time for the church to arise and shine and be a city set on a hill, particularly in this area of fatherlessness. And so we're, we're today going to carry on our series called When God Comes to Town. And this series really is looking at what happens when God pulls out his spirit on communities and begins to change the landscape. Often we call these great awakenings or revivals, and you can read about them right throughout the history of the church, moments where God seems to come close and change everything. And uh, today we're just gonna be focusing on, on this subject of how do we cultivate a longing for God? How do we cultivate a longing for more of God? Uh, Bill Johnson said this, he said, our hunger for revival 
must go beyond a desire for a move of God. Revival is the result of us hungering for God himself. Revival happens because God's people start to develop a hunger, an insatiable appetite for more of him. And that's always where revival starts, where we suddenly start to say, God, I want to know you more than I do. I want to see more of your glory on the planet. God, I want you. That's where revival starts. And um, you may remember a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, I was talking about revival. And my favorite revival when I was a kid that I used to read about was the Welsh Revival in 1904. And in 1904, in a two-year period, God poured out His Spirit on Wales in such a dramatic way that 100,000 souls came to know Jesus within a two-year period. And it was a remarkable moment of transformation for literally thousands of people's lives. And what God did in Wales began to spread around the world in different places. And I just want to tell you about one of those places, which was in India. Um, it was, came to be known as the Mukti Revival because it happened in a, a girls' mission school called the Mukti Mission. And it was run by an amazing lady, this lady here, uh, Pandita Ram, Ramabai. And she ran this kind of girls' school and she heard about what God was doing in Wales while she was living in India. And she was so hungry for God to pour out His Spirit in India that she began to gather other hungry people who wanted to pray for revival. And the account goes that in 1905, in January, she said 70 of us began to meet each morning and we prayed for the true conversion of all of India and for a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all Christians of every land. And this group began to grow. It eventually grew to a group of 550 people who would gather twice a week to pray and call on God. And then I'll read you what happened. At 3.30 a.m. on June the 29th, 1904, Minnie Abrams, an American missionary working at Mukti, was awakened by a dorm supervisor with the news that one of the senior girls had suddenly awakened with fire coming down on her. The supervisor related how she'd seen the fire, ran across the room for a pail of water, and was about to pour it on top of the girl when she discovered it was not actually real fire, but a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, like in Acts 2. Abrams then went to the girls' dorm where this activity was taking place and found the girls on their knees, weeping, praying, and confessing their sins. Revival was underway. The following evening, while Ramabai was teaching, the Holy Spirit descended with power and all the girls began to pray aloud so that she had to cease talking. Little children, middle-sized girls, and young women wept bitterly and started to confess their sins. From that time, said Miss Abrams, our Bible schools turned into an inquiry room. Girls stricken under the conviction of sin while in school or at the industrial school or at their work were brought to us. Lessons were suspended and we all, teachers and students, entered the school that was conducted now by the Holy Spirit. Prayer continued all night and in various compounds on more than one occasion. The Bible schools filled with those crying for mercy. Suddenly revival broke out because hungry people got together to long for more of God. And then I love this, this picture here. This picture here is of a whole load of female evangelists that have been baptized with the Holy Spirit and power during that revival. And this is them getting ready to go out and preach in the villages around Mukti. 
And uh, Ramabai said this, 700 girls and women of the Mukti mission have given themselves to prayer and the study of God's word that they might go to the places where God sends them to give the gospel. They are already visiting the villages around where they sing gospel hymns and read the word of God to the village people. About 60 go out every single day. Amazing. So you see how what God does in one place suddenly begins to spark in other places. And in fact, what happened here of the Mukti mission began to spread right around India into places like Bangalore, where suddenly amazing moves of God started to happen. It then eventually transplanted over into Chile, where an amazing revival started taking place because they heard what was happening in India. And all of these moments where God suddenly breaks in happens. It starts where we start to cultivate a longing for more of Him. And so what we're going to do, Lauren and I together, is we're going to look at Psalm 42 to try and learn some lessons about how do we cultivate a hunger for more of God? How do we cultivate that longing within us? And Psalm 42, it's a very famous psalm. You may remember this first line, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. And this psalm is written by a group of guys called the Sons of Korah which if you're starting a band would be a great name, the Sons of Korah. And the Sons of Korah had a particular responsibility under King David's leadership for worship in Israel. They were amazing musicians. They wrote a lot of the songs and the Psalms. In fact, in the Bible, uh, 11 Psalms were written by this group of guys, the Sons of Korah. And uh, so this is one of their Psalms. And in it, they are expressing their longing for God. And so we're going to learn about what they did. And the first thing they did was that they sought God. Verse 1, we've read it already. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? I love that heart cry you get there. There's this sense of, I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to be with him. When can I go and meet with God is their heart cry. And these are a group of men who are saying, listen, above all else in our lives, we want to be people that seek God's face above all others. And so I'm just going to get Lauren to come and just share some stories and thoughts in our own life of how she's tried to work this out and seek God as a priority. So let's welcome Lauren, shall we, as she comes and shares. Thanks, Dad. Oh, thank you. I, I, love, I love this psalm, and I, I love the hunger. When you read those words, you cannot doubt the hunger for God that is in those words. And, um, and I just, so part of my, my role in this um, this morning is that I'm basically going to share a lot of stories in my life from my testimony of where I've kind of partnered with God to see, see some breakthrough and to cultivate hunger for Him. But I just, I just felt stirred by Holy Spirit just to do a bit of a disclaimer um, before I carry on that, I have not always made the right decisions to cultivate my hunger for God. And I would and I would say that the effects of that were, you know, it's pretty shocking, but it just shows me how important it is to really cultivate your heart ready for God. Um, as a child, I was, I would say I was the hungry, I was so hungry for God as a child, but we moved to Bedford when I was about 11 years old as a family. And I'd say through the I say the trauma of moving. In that move, I didn't make some of the best decisions and I distanced myself from God and I put out any fire that was in my heart that was ready to seek God. And the effects of that was that I was the most depressed and anxious I've ever been. It led to feeling suicidal, to being on medication for my anxiety and the effects, the effects were bad. But I tell you, when I started going to God 
and cultivating a heart for hunger, he transformed all of that. And I can stand here saying, I love Jesus with all my heart. He's the only thing that will sustain me. He's the only thing I want. He's the only thing that will satisfy. And he's the only thing that gives me hope and life and joy. Because I've never experienced it. So just a disclaimer as well, just for those in the room, that maybe you're in that place right now that I was, where you're feeling down. You're feeling like your soul is just wandering. just want to say there is hope in Jesus. And, and what I love is that seeking God out, like we're looking at now, God is readily available. It doesn't take much seeking to find him. That's the beautiful thing about God. But um, So we're looking at seeking God, how to find him. And I love about this verse, they talk about deers. Deers do not have their hydro flask of water by them all the time. They have to go find their water. <laughs> and that's what I think is so precious about this. We have to seek God out. And um, there's something about seeking and searching that creates a hunger in you. It creates a desire to find what you're looking for. Um, one of my favorite examples of this is I was a One Direction fan as a kid. Any One Direction fans in the room? Yeah, got Abby over there. Just, just us. I, just, I was looking at all the youth. I feel like this was one of the things I did in youth. Let's love One Direction. Um, but I knew everything about them. I sought them out. There was one time they came to Bedford. I knew exactly what hotel they were staying in. I knew what time they were filming their music video. And so I got a bus from school to their location and I waited for them. I sought them out. And I tell you what, it was so exciting when one of them drove past me. That was all I, that was all I needed. I was like, yes, I've seen Zane. Um, <laughs> but there's something about seeking and finding that just creates a hunger in you. And what's amazing about God is that there are so many things we can find. There's amazing podcasts. We've got the Bible literally written right there. And there's something about discovering God's word and discovering more about him that it just makes you love him and desire him like nothing else. Like when you read the words and you're like, God created the whole universe in a word. And like he's the majestic king and the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and I can know him. When you read about who he is, you're like, yeah, I can't, I can't not know you. I've got to seek you out. And I think the more you drink, the more you thirst. The more you spend time with God, the more you thirst for him and the more you look for him. So I think some practical things you can do. Learn about God. Don't be satisfied with what you know now. There's so much more to God. There's always more to learn read your Bible, listen to podcasts, do some training courses, go to conferences, seek more understanding of God. Um, I think, and Dad's going to talk a bit more about this in a minute, but I think spending time with God and hiddenness is really important. Spending time with God and seeking God when the atmosphere isn't perfect, when your hair's disheveled and you've just woken up. Seeking God in that place. I think we live in a culture of immediacy and learning perseverance in that place. It's an amazing way of seeking God. And um, just a story from my life of a time where I've, I've sought out God and just the effects that created and my hunger for God was uh, when I was a kid, I was about 13, I think. I was in youth and we had a conference at church. It was a Thursday night, Friday daytime and Saturday daytime conference. And my parents brought me and um, one of my friends along to the Thursday night. And honestly, seeing what God was doing in the room, it's like it stirred something in my soul. I was like, oh my gosh, God is amazing. It's like, wow, he's so good. And I just saw God's presence come and people love God. And once I saw that, I was like, there is no way I'm going to school tomorrow. There is no way I'm going to school when God is in the room here tomorrow. Because I knew it was going to be a Friday day thing as well. And I saw that Thursday night and I was like, what can I do to get into this room tomorrow? Like, how, how could I do that? And so me and my friend, we sat at the end of the Thursday night. And we're like, what can we do? We can't fake being ill because then we won't be able to come. We'll just have a day of school and that's not what we want. 
And so we were just coming up with a plan, and eventually we were like, you know what, our parents love the Lord. Maybe we should just tell them the truth. <laughs> and so we asked, and mum and dad granted me a day off school on the Friday to come to a conference and be in God's presence. And it was honestly a life-changing moment for me. You know, there's some moments in your life that just, it's like it's a rock in your life. That was one of the days for me. And I had a neck condition, two of my vertebrae were fused together. God healed me in that conference. Um, I would say he healed a lot of the trauma and the hurt from the move to Bedford. A lot of the stuff. I'd been bullied at school. It was quite a traumatic turnaround for me. I'd say he'd done a lot of healing in my heart, that conference. But what it did was, for me and my friend, that we'd experienced God in this way. It was like we'd seen God. We'd sought him out. We'd seen him. And I was like, we cannot go back. What can we do to bring God into the rest of our lives? And so we went to school the next week. And one of the lessons we had missed from being at the conference was RE. And the teacher came to us and was like, where were you last week? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I think we've got a story we're meant to say. Um, but we were like, you know what? We're at church. We're like, God's presence came and we could not be there. <laughs> and I was like, God healed my neck. Like, I've been down for years and God has healed me and redeemed me and given me life. And we just told her the whole story. And the teacher was like, so I'm in middle school, I think, at this point. Yeah, at the very end. And she was like, you know what? Why don't you take... Oh, no, we asked. We were like, oh, could we take our re-lesson next week? And she's like, you can have half of the lesson to share what you've experienced, and then I need to do my teaching. So we're like, yes, we've got half an re lesson to teach people about God and what he's done. And so we, like, sat down, me and my friend, and we were meant to just share our experience, but we went for it. We filmed people's testimonies. I remember getting my mum to sit on the sofa as I filmed her on my phone. We shared the gospel. We got clips from Narnia in there. Like, we did the whole shebang. And we ended up taking the whole lesson because we just needed all the time. And at the end, we just, we just were like, okay, we really went for it. I don't know where the courage came from. It must have been from God. Um, but I was like, okay, just close your eyes. I'm going to put on a song, and we're just going to invite God's presence into the room. And this is in my middle school class. And so we get everyone to close their eyes, and we welcome God in. And I'm like, sharing the gospel, I'm like, if anyone would like to give their life to God, why don't you just put your hand up now? And a couple of people in the room in my class put their hand up. So we prayed for them. And, and yeah, but it was just a story of how seeking God, <laughs> I feel like I was being a bit cheeky, seeking God for a day of school so I could be in God's presence. It cultivated something in my heart, a hunger for him that I couldn't, I couldn't let go. It just grew. Um, but yeah, I mean, Dad, over to you if you want to add something. So good. Love that. Um, and I just, I guess I would risk reinforce what Lauren said there about how do you cultivate a longing to seek God? And it often is in the daily decisions. There was a lady called Corrie Ten Boom who said this, don't pray when you feel like it, have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. And if you think about it, all the most important things in your life you make appointments for and you show up. If you're sick and you get a doctor's appointment, you show up. <laughs> You know, most of you tomorrow morning are going to show up in your workplace. You're going to show up. You're going to keep the appointments that really matter to you. If you're going to sign your mortgage papers, you are going to show up to that appointment because you show up to what you value. Well, listen, make an appointment with the King of Kings and keep it. <laughs> make an appointment with the Lord because ultimately seeking God and building a relationship with God isn't just about a series of constant highs and encounters. It's also about the daily decisions just to walk with God in daily life. So in our marriage, maybe your marriage, if you're married here, is different. But in my marriage, my marriage isn't a constant series of wow. 
encounter moments. It's, it's not a series of constant highs where we're having amazing encounters and creating amazing memories. Like this morning when I woke up, I was like, morning. I can hardly open my eyes. Hay fever's really bad this morning. Could you put the coffee pot on? <laughs> you know, relationship is built in like the everyday stuff as well as the kind of amazing life-changing moments. And so I'll just say, see, if you're building a relationship with God, keep on a, make a daily appointment with him and just keep it. Become the Lord's friend. Walk with him. And, you know, I was so grateful as a kid growing up in a home where I came downstairs every day and there was my father's Bible open in the living room and I knew he'd been with Jesus. I remember we had a lodger move in with us when I was about 14. I just listened to him playing guitar in his bedroom. And eventually I was like, Dave, I knocked on his door one day. I said, Dave, can you teach me how to play guitar? And he's like, you taught me three chords. That's all you need to play a Christian worship song. And, uh, and I was off. <laughs> and I suddenly like, I was finding my worship language in my own bedroom, worshiping Jesus. However you do it, make an appointment with Jesus and keep it. Um, I love what Bill Johnson says. He says this, being alone with God is a reminder of priorities. Quiet time forces busyness to find its victims elsewhere. You can't go in faith where you haven't gone in intimacy. You want to live a life of faith? Anyone here want to live a life of faith? Then create a secret place with Jesus. Faith can't go when intimacy hasn't gone first. Second lesson from the sons of Korah, they needed godly community. So they say, my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Yet these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. And here the sons of Korah are remembering a day where they used to go with the people of God to the house of God to worship God. They're looking back because it's something as they're writing they weren't able to do, but they're remembering a day where they used to go with others who are hungry for God to worship together. And one of the implications of this for us is that your life is meant to be sustained not just on your own, but also alongside others. You know, some of you are going to go home this afternoon and maybe put on the barbecue. And you're probably going to put more than one lump of coal on the barbecue. If you don't, then I'd really fear for your sausages and burgers. Because you've got to put a whole bunch of charcoal together because charcoal needs other charcoal. You put those bad boys together and suddenly you create an appetite to actually cook something properly. Okay? But it's the same with Christians. We need one another. You know, words like isolation and independence and loneliness are curses, not blessings. Because we serve a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has always existed in perfect community, and that is meant to be a pattern for our lives. You are not meant to be a desert island as a Christian. You're meant to do life with other people. And you need other people if you're going to cultivate a hunger for God. You know, I love it at our 9.30 service. We have two ladies no one's asked them to do this, but they've just decided they want to get here at 7.30 every single Sunday to pray for the Spirit of God to move on us as we gather in this room. No one's put them on a rotor. No one's asked them to do it. They've just two burning souls have found one another and they've come together to seek God. We need one another. And revival start when burning people find each other and begin to call on God together. I was 
just thinking about the Hebrides revival in Scotland, it was probably the last known revival in the British Isles in about 1949. And uh, I'll just read you that particular account of two ladies, two burning charcoals who found one another. Um, there were two sisters, one called Peggy and one called Christine Smith. One was 84 years of age and blind, and the other was 82 and crippled with arthritis. They were greatly burdened because they'd been told no young people went to church anymore. So they decided to pray together twice a week. On Tuesdays and Fridays, they got on their knees at 10 in the evening and remained there until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, two old women in a humble cottage. Then Peggy had a vision of the church crowded with young people, and they persuaded their minister to call a special meeting. Seven men came, and they decided also to begin praying twice a week. And then one night in November, a young man began to pray, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? But he could get no further. He suddenly fell into a trance in the meeting and lay on the floor of the barn. Within a matter of minutes, three other elders also fell into a trance. And the minister and the other intercessors were gripped by a conviction that revival was on its way. And then we read this, an awareness of God began to grip the whole community in the Hebrides. Little work was done as men and women gave themselves to thinking about eternal things. It started with two women who had a passion to seek God. They found one another and they poured fuel into each other's lives. We need godly community. And it's interesting reading verses now like Hebrews 10, 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together a summer in the habit of doing. What's interesting in the West, in the UK in particular, is that church-going habits have dramatically changed post-COVID, so that now the average Christian attends church once a month. Once a month. And I'm not gonna get you to put your hand up if that's you, but it would be many of us in this room. And church-going habits have changed, and I don't know why, there's all sorts of complex, probably psychological and social reasons for that, but somehow there's this pressure to kind of disconnect from community and just dive into our own things. But listen, friends, you, you're absolutely free to do that, but you will find the consequences in your own life if you do, because we need one another. You know, unity, family, community, one anothering, forgive one another, serve one another, pour love into one another's lives. This is biblical language. It's about our togetherness, not our separateness. And so, Lauren, why don't you just come and share some stories again of just how this has worked out in your life? Thanks, I love that. Yeah, I think, um, I think just one of the verses that really inspires me in this is Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And there is so much truth in this. Um, one of the things that's helped me is that I've had ment a mentor. I've actually got two mentors. I've had them for about, well, one for seven years, one for two years. And we meet once a month. And they ask me good questions. They tell me what's going on in their life. But there's something about connecting with people that know Jesus that fuels your faith. Because I'm sat here, like, with my mentor. She's asking me good questions, making me reflect on my life. But I'm asking her, like, what's God doing in you? And she's telling me stories about how she's seen God come and heal people. She's seen God encounter her. And I'm there like, I haven't seen that yet. I want that. <laughs> like, I want what you've got. I want what you experienced. Give that to me. Impart that in me. And it just cultivates this fire for more of God, because that's a beautiful thing about church legacy, you know, it's a spiritual legacy, it's not a biological one, I get to receive what God has done 
and my brother or sister in Christ. And that's the beautiful thing about community. Um, yeah, that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to move on to point three, which is that they made powerful choices when they didn't feel like it. This is a big point, and it's hard to do. And um, I, I mean, I love the words in this verse. I think they're so powerful. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It's a big thing. They made powerful choices to pursue God when they didn't feel like it. And you can see on in the words and the things they've written how downcast their soul was in that moment. And yet they were choosing to put their hope in God despite what they were feeling in that moment. I think the perfect example of where someone's done this in the Bible is Jesus on the cross. How he endured the cross for us. It says in Hebrews, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross, the pain of the cross. And yet it says he did it with joy in his heart because he knew that God was with him and he knew why he was doing it for us. I think there's something powerful about choosing to put your faith in God when you're in the mystery. And I don't know what you guys are going through at the moment. We'll all have our stories what we're going through but there's something powerful about turning to God when you're struggling and it does something in your heart in your soul it really does I think an example of where I've done that recently um was a couple of weeks ago um I'd just been doing a zoom with Wendy she we do a zoom every other week with a few girls that she's mentoring and she just talked about how to process your pain worship in your pain but with other people not doing it on your own and I could tell God was speaking to me because I was just crying in the Zoom. I was like, God, I could tell you're speaking to me. And I'd been through a few really tricky weeks. And I was just holding a lot of pain, a lot of grief. And there was a lot of mystery that I didn't understand. And, um, and I could just feel this nudge of God, from God saying, Lauren, you need to turn to me. Stop trying to fix this on your own. And like I shared about my, my history of, there's been times where I've not turned to God in those moments and I felt the effects of it. So I knew it was God. And so um, I just texted my housemate. I was too nervous to go downstairs. I texted my housemate and I was like, I need to do some processing and worshipping. Can you do it with me? And she said, yes, I went downstairs. <laughs> and this is at nine o'clock at night, so it's quite late to do this. And we just put on some worship music and me and my housemate, we worshipped together. And I tell you, the first hour was one of the most painful hours as I sobbed and I sobbed with my housemate there with worship music on and just praying out loud with one another like God I don't understand God I feel so hurt I feel so sad I don't understand what's going on and crying out and telling him my pain and being really honest in that moment and you know when you sob so much that your nose blocks. So I, I was like trying to speak, but between each word I was going, <gasps> and I have to take a breath, like it was to that point. But after the first hour, something shifted in me as I was giving this pain and laying it at the feet of Jesus. I just remember just praying, God, I don't understand, but you know what? It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul because you are a good God. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords in my life. And I lay it all down. And I'd go through it all again to pursue you, to run after you. You are my hope. 
And just something shifted in me. Is like, it was like I went through this pain and I made the choice to, you know what, that's not where I live. That is not my reality. My reality is God and who he is. And it is worth it, all the pain, to go for him. And we spent another hour, bless the neighbours. It's like 11 o'clock at night when we finished. It's like on a Thursday night as well. Um, where it's just like our, our mourning and our pain became worship. And as we praised and worshipped God, I mean, we were jumping for joy. We're laughing in the spirit of God. We're declaring his goodness. We're praying for breakthrough. And I tell you, that worship, it was like... Oh, the presence of God was so thick in that place. It was so thick in that place. We did communion together and we glorified God. But it started a hunger in me of if God can meet me in this place where I'm feeling painful and I'm feeling hopeless, then he can do anything. He can do anything. And it's like this hunger in me to to see God's kingdom break out. And just like I woke up the next morning feeling completely transformed. But yeah, there's something about making powerful decisions to pursue Jesus. So I'm looking at Dad. We ran out after point three, ran out of time last time, and I think we'll abandon the next two points. <laughs> um, I think we're going to pray. Let's pray together and give this to God. So why don't you stand up where you are?